Like here's one that happens to me all the time that I'll have a dream where my teeth are falling out. A lot of people, that's common, right? A lot of people yeah, I feel like have that. Yeah, super common dream. And I hate this dream, but I've come to realize that when I have this dream, what it tells me is that I need to work more on stress reduction. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm, I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you expertise and packing decades of their research and tough lessons into a curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great content and free products and books that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. This show is about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. If you're new to the show but you want to know where to begin or find out more about what we teach here at the Art of Charm live programs in LA, you can go to the website. We'll email you a starter kit of all the top podcasts here at the Art of Charm and we'll send you all the fundamentals like body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, dating, attraction, business networking and negotiation, relationship management, public speaking, and more. Pretty much all the stuff we wish we'd learned and mastered years ago. And we've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world every single week, which shows that no matter where you are, if you're committed, you can make it here if you want to learn and grow. Details on that at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp or give us a call here in the office, 888-413-7177, or you can email me. I'm jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today, we're talking with Ryan Hurd. He's a dream researcher, and he's written several books on dreams and consciousness, including a book called Dream Like a Boss, which I haven't read, but has an awesome title. And of course, we're looking at a lot of stuff about lucid dreaming. He's been featured all over the news, but we really talk about adequate sleep and working with dreams as kind of a missing piece in a healthy lifestyle and how paying attention to dreams can really stoke creativity empower success and deepen understanding about important relationships. So a lot of good stuff in this one, a lot of interesting stuff that we've never touched on in this episode. So enjoy this one with Ryan Hurd. Tell me what you do in, in one sentence. I'm a dream researcher and a dream educator. Okay. And that's really interesting, of course, because everybody knows that their dreams either mean all kinds of amazing stuff or they don't mean anything at all. Or if you ask, what was it, Freud, they're only about sex or something. Right. Um, and they're all right. <laughs> and they're all correct. Okay, gotcha. Well, how did you get interested in this? Because it seems, you know, everybody has dreams. What got you so into dreams that you're making your job dreams? Yeah, well, I was always a good dreamer. I, I mean, I always had really dynamic dreams and was interested in it since I was a kid. And I even kept a dream journal starting uh, when I was 14 years old, started writing down my dreams. And I, you know, I'm not saying that I've written down every dream I've ever had or anything like that, but I still keep a dream journal. Uh, so it's been going, you know, 25 years strong now. And it's just been a wonderful process for me to kind of get to know myself. So it was always there, you know, but my first profession out of college was in 
cultural resource management. I was doing uh, archaeology and was working as a field archaeologist. And I did that basically for a decade. And I felt the dream research kind of calling me back. Uh, so I went um, back to school and studied with a bunch of dream researchers and scientists and dream workers out in California uh, at John F. Kennedy University. They have a consciousness studies program there. Spent a few years just kind of navel gazing, um, the, the, the light fantastic. And, uh, and here I am today writing and blogging and, and, uh, doing dream research. Excellent. I'm kind of a weird guy in that I think, you know, I don't know how it is for most people, but I've been doing the lucid dreaming thing since I was a kid a lot. And I didn't know it was something that most people didn't do. And I remember having recurring dreams and being like, oh, cool, we're back in this one. And then I could like do different things or go further along than the point where I usually woke up or change the people in it. And, you know, of course, the the thing I still do, which is fly, which for some reason I'm still not good at. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff like that that I love. And I think it's one of the funnest things to do. And I also think that I've spent a lot of time when I was older using it to learn things. Like I definitely used it a lot to learn German when I lived in Germany. I was there, I was in school, I was hearing it all the time and I would have conversations in German in my head and you know, dreaming and I would wake up if I didn't know the word and I would I kept a dictionary right by the bed. I would look up the, I had a light, I'd look up the word, I'd write it down, I'd go back to sleep and I would almost pick after I got good at that, I would pick up right where I left off. And it be, it proved really useful. That's that's great. I I actually experienced something similar when I was uh, in a intense um, cultural experience with Spanish, and I was having dreams where I was you know having conversations with people in Spanish. And I really think that when you're in that kind of intense creative learning environment, like culture shock, that that's exactly when dreaming creativity really um, is off the charts. We you know we're on overdrive basically. Why is that? I think that, you know, we dream, right, whether we remember it or not. That's the, the miraculous thing about it. It's just, it's the mind doing its thing, working on problems, thinking about the things that are most important to us. But when we recall our dreams and work on recalling them, we kind of quicken the process and so we make it even more exacting. And this is just that the creative mind awake and asleep is the same mind we're still working on the same stuff. And even though dreams are weird and dreams are wacky, we're still kind of, you know, on the same trip. Okay. You're the guy when it comes to this. You know, you've written a lot of books, Big Dreams, Dream Like a Boss, which is a great title. And then, of course, The Sleep Paralysis. I actually heard about that. I don't even, that freaks me out, the little sleep <laughs> paralysis demon thing. I mean, we can get into that, but I, I'm going to have nightmares for months about that. <laughs> It seems like dreaming is really healthy, and we hear a lot about sleep, and I know that dreams can be really useful. I, I don't really know if I need to sell dreaming. I might need to sell the idea that people should learn about dreaming. Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah, it's interesting. It's actually, it's a double sell, because first you have to sell sleeping, because we live in a culture that doesn't respect sleep. We think sleep is unimportant. And of course, it's the third pillar of health. Like it doesn't matter how much you exercise and how great your diet is. If you're not getting adequate sleep, your sugar ratios are going to be just whack and you're not going to build muscle as quickly as you could. You're not going to be learning as quickly. You're not going to look as good. Your testosterone levels are going to be depressed. 
Like sleep is so important to our overall holistic health, right? And so, and that's just business culture and industrialization and the light bulb. And I mean, who knows how far back it goes, but you know, and then you add like tablets and smartphones to it, which we like literally cradle in our sleep every night and they punctuate our sleep with uh, texts and emails and all this stuff disturbs our sleep even more. Uh, you know, we're, we're a mess when it comes to that. So yeah, you got to uh-huh. sell sleep. Number one, you have to have good sleep health to even really get into the creative dreaming aspects because without good sleep, you can remember dreams, but they're going to be, you know, let's be honest, the crappy dreams, the nightmares, the anxiety dreams, because that's just where you're going to be at. Once you start taking care of your sleep health again, start respecting yourself enough to say, I deserve a nap. I'm going to go do it in, in the car at my lunch break or whatever. Maybe roll the window down. Um, that's, you know, that's when the dreams come back. And that's when you start really getting the really cool creative dreams. And you're saying like the lucid dreams when you know you're dreaming and can really start experimenting with it and, and really thriving with it. Now, why is it that paying attention to dreams can do things like stoke creativity, make us a little more successful? I mean, learn German for that on that note and, and deepen understanding about relationships. I mean, how is it that that happens? Why does that happen? How come I can't just sit down and think about that stuff? Well, you are sitting down and thinking about that stuff. That's why you're dreaming about it in the first place. This is uh, one of the coolest theories that's come out of the, um, out of the dream science in the last, say, 20 years or so is the continuity theory of dreaming. And there's all kinds of different levels of evidence for it. And, you know, at the clinical level and, and looking at like actually dream reports and looking at statistical wordplay and all this kind of stuff. But it comes down to this, that we dream about the things that are most important to us, the relationships that are most important to us, you know, our, our aspirations, our fears, what is driving us, whether away from or towards things in our life. And that's what we're thinking about in waking life. And that process continues when we're dreaming as well, what happens is it's a different kind of cognition. The masterful thing about it is there's an increased emotional kind of intelligence that happens. The, the middle brain is actually very active during REM sleep, you know, rapid eye movement sleep, when most of these kind of narrative dreams are occurring. But the part of our, our brain that involves with metacognition, you know, executive function, the higher order kind of consciousness stuff, like reason and rationality, all that's sort of depressed, more depressed than it is in waking life. And so we tend not to reflect about why are we here in this situation right now. We just kind of along for the ride. Uh, and so we're along for the ride. And then meanwhile, we're having these eruptions coming in from the emotional self that's just working on whatever is poignant, whatever is really like coming up in the moment. And because we're just not going to stamp it down and say, that's not cool or that doesn't make sense, you have these interesting creative ideas pop out of nowhere. And this is how, you know, people come up with solutions to problems too. You know, when you think about creativity and you think about like problem solving, you work on a problem for weeks at a time and you lose sleep over it and you think, you think, you think, you always or most of the time come up with a solution when you stop thinking about it and you let it go underground, and you do something else, like go do something physical, like play basketball or take a run, and then suddenly out of nowhere comes a spontaneous, almost fully formed 
solution. And you're like, where did that come from? That's the same thing. It's happening in a waking life too. So that's what dreaming is. is it's kind of like a, a creativity you know, workshop. Now, you've also mentioned a few things that are really interesting right there, like workshopping problems. I want to get into that with the lucid dreaming stuff, but you've mentioned in, in other stuff that you can have dreams serve as red flags for health issues. How does that work? Yeah, this is one of the things I'm very interested in is people tend to think of dreams in one or two ways. Okay, If they decide that they think dreams have meaning, they say, okay, dreams are just mental. You know, they're about, you know, our personal past and our foibles and, and our traumas from whenever, when we were young, you know, or um, it's about, you know, spirituality and God and the higher self and all this kind of thing. But what's usually missing in most people's um, reckonings of what a dream is, is the body, the human body. What I've been seeing and what I'm very keen on is all this interesting new research coming up about how dreams can reflect these signals from the body that there's, you know, that health warnings, essentially. And there's a lot of ways I could talk about it. But one of the more interesting ones is there are so many women who have dreams about breast cancer. And then they go into their doctor and say, I had a dream that, you know, that there was something going on with me. And it was right here pointing to their chest in the dream that the dream figure told me to look into. And the doctor's like, oh, okay, whatever, crazy lady, we'll run you through a scan. And then they find tumors. There are so many stories about this. And there's actually a doctor, Larry Burke. He's a doctor out of um, North Carolina who's been recording these these stories and, and bringing them to life. And, and it, you know, that's like a really kind of creepy example of like how yet dreams can possibly know, you know, the body maybe has a somatic knowledge that there's something wrong. And it comes through in like an image, you know, maybe it's not so much like a message, like it's trying to get through to us, but maybe it's just the body expressing itself. It's expressing its disease or its ill ease. And, and on that tip, like here's one that happens to me all the time that I'll have a dream where my teeth are falling out. A lot of people, that's common, right? A lot of people yeah, I feel like have super that. Yeah, common dream. And I've, I mean, I've had it since I was a kid time, you know, time and again, and it's gross and there's blood and, you know. And I hate this dream, but I've come to realize that when I have this dream, I mean, it's clearly an anxiety dream. Well, that doesn't tell us anything we didn't already know. Oh, right. I'm anxious in my life. You know, oh, I've got a lot going on. Duh. Um, but what it tells me is that I need to work more on stress reduction activities. And probably I need to do things like cut back on my caffeine. For me personally, you know, I have like this love-hate relationship with coffee. Like uh -huh. I drink a lot of it, but then it starts escalating and then I'm drinking four cups a day. And then that's when the nerves set in and it will be the teeth dream that alerts me. You're drinking too much coffee. <laughs> oh, how interesting. Cause that's just like a general anxiety. I mean, the teeth thing is so common that they put it in movies and television where somebody has a dream that their teeth are falling out. It's absolutely one of the top 10 dreams, you know, and, and it's because it's existential. I mean, it has to do with your somatic self, your body, your, your mental state. It's all connected. Um, and so, yeah, you know, so this isn't saying, hey, this isn't a dream about you can't do anything about this. This is a dream about, hey, this is a red flag. Do something about this. Start meditating again. Take your walk in the morning or, you know, do your exercise or whatever it is that, that kind of gets you back into check. Um, so you were saying before that dreams happen whether or not we remember them. And that's that's interesting. So if I wake up and, and it just feels like I blinked or something, I'm dreaming no matter what. 
Yeah, I mean, the science is telling us that everybody dreams every night, uh, regardless if you remember them or not. And it's just part of, it's part of the sleep cycle. And actually, we dream even in deep sleep and in light sleep too. I mean, if people are woken up in a sleep lab at all the different stages of sleep, you can often get a dream report from them. But you're just most likely to get those sort of lucid, you know, really nice, long narrative, like story-like dreams. Those tend to happen in REM sleep. And that's the stage of sleep that's more like waking life brain activity than any other stage of sleep. It's really its own thing. Um, the brain is so active. But yeah, we, you know, we can wake up and it, it all disappears in a flash. And there's different theories about why this is. It has to maybe do with the way that like the uh, neurotransmitters of the brain are just switching over from one kind of system to the next. And it also, I think, is cultural, in which is that we have an expectation or we don't have an expectation to remember dreams. There's no one re reinforcing it for us. We never, most of us, learned to remember dreams and had anyone asking us what we were dreaming, you know, at the breakfast table. Um, and once you begin kind of creating your microculture with, you know, your family or your roommates or, you know, the people you work with, maybe that's not the best idea. When you have a culture of remembering dreams, they come back really quickly, which to me shows that it's, you know, it's not just about, oh, we're supposed to forget our dreams. There really is a cultural piece. That is really interesting. So it's not just that your brain isn't programmed to remember dreams because they're not, you know, important or something like that. It's it's more culturally influenced. I think it's culturally influenced and you could really read, you know, into it either way. But it's the argument kind of goes like, well, we weren't meant to wear clothes, you know, we were born naked. Uh, it's like, yeah, but we all, you know, put clothes on, <laughs> you know, and so you can say something similar when you look at all of the other cultures of the world, except for Western industrialized countries, like every indigenous culture, always, they remember their dreams. It's, it's, you see it in horticulture cultures, you see it in pastoral cultures, you see it all the way up into basically modern life and industrialization and and for some reason, you know, I don't know, does it have to be capitalism? I doubt it. It's just maybe we're too busy. Or maybe it has to do with the way our sleeping style of condensed sleep into eight hours, which is um, kind of a new thing, historically speaking. You know, most people before uh, the Industrial Revolution didn't sleep for eight hours in a solid period of time, and then that's it. That is really something new. So it could be um, that that is the biggest thing that's influencing this. Excellent. Yeah, I think it's very cool for me to remember dreams and look at it, although I never know what the heck any of it means. When I was little, I actually got mad at my mom once because I was trying to remember a dream and she was in it. And I thought, well, you were there. Why don't you tell me <laughs> what, what was happening? You know, I have dreams all the time that I don't know what they are. And I, and I, I, it can be frustrating, but I also think it's about developing the skill to live with ambiguity. Uh, and, and, and I encourage people to tell their dreams, especially if they're strange and they don't know what it means. Um, for one thing, expressing it with words gives you a little bit of distance from it and you articulate it, you make a story out of it. It changes as you tell. That's just part of the process. You know, the dream is lived is different than the dream is told. Uh, but once you make that transformation, the dream 
can still just live in a place of, I guess I would say you can just appreciate it for what it is without trying to figure out what it means this very second. And, you know, it's great. Sometimes that's all somebody needs is say, I, you know, I had this really weird dream and there's this really this need to tell the dream. And all you really need to do is say, that's really weird, man, and appreciate it for its weirdness. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is a successful dream sharing uh, session in my mind. Excellent. Now, what about that dreaming can show us what we fear and how to conquer it as well as kind of what, what we might want and how to ask for it? Because this seems like it could be really useful in relationships and in developing emotional intelligence. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's so true. And, you know, like I was saying earlier, uh, it's really an emotional, I think, language happening in the dream life, just the way that, that the brain is operating. I think it's an emotional logic that's coming through. And so we'll have dreams about people that we haven't seen in decades. Um, and we'll have conversations with them. And we'll be really charged about it. And we'll wake up with this feeling in our gut or in our heart and like, oh my God, I just dreamt about my, you know, X, 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 X girlfriend again. Am I obsessed about her still? Do I, should I call her? Is she okay? And, you know, in most of the cases, I would say this is about this something about that relationship. Some truth that was true then is showing up in our lives now. And one of the secrets is to notice that feeling when it shows up in waking life and see if you can make a correspondence. And so in kind of in this way, you can sort of start tracking your emotional responses, ones that you have in dreams, and then noticing your emotional responses in waking life, making those correspondences. That's heavy work, but it's great work because what you're doing is you're prepping yourself to keep yourself from shooting yourself in the foot like in a meeting or something, when you have an emotional reaction and you just say, this is the point where I usually say something stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you say something stupid. Well, if you're doing this work of like noticing your emotional responses, if you've got more metacognition about it and you're building emotional intelligence. And just the simple act of writing dreams down builds emotional intelligence because the dream itself is an emotional piece. Yeah, yeah. Guys, is, I'll just generalize for us here because, you know, as much as I hate generalizations, we're pretty crap with emotional communication a lot of the time. And even when we're good at it, we're still not nearly as good at it as most of our counterparts tend to be. At, well, provided we're dating women, et cetera, well, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, in whether it's biological or cultural or both, I, th I tend to think probably both. <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't matter ultimately. Like, yeah, we have to work at it. And it's worth it. And in doing dream work is kind of an easy way to get to your core emotional needs. Like, what is it that you're striving for? Not what you're telling yourself or society is telling yourself you're striving for, but like what's showing up, you know, in the middle of the night? What are you waking up in panic about? Are you waking up and having the dream about the bullies again when you're 10 years old and running from the bullies? Like, what is that about? You know, and that's actually my own example, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've had bully dreams, you know, all my life. It was a part of my childhood. And it's also what made me into the man I am today. It's like, you know, being able to, in the dream, like face the fear, face the bullies, stand up for myself, find my voice. That's the stuff that we all go through, you know? Um, dreams can facilitate that process. And then to take it a step further with the lucid dreams is when you know that you're dreaming, you have yet another chance 
to not turn your back on something that's creepy in a dream or that's off and you can stand your ground and you can say, Hey, what do you need? What do you want? Or you can express what you want. And, you know, beautiful things come out of this in the dream uh, when you do so. Is there a structure or sort of significance of dreams that's agreed upon? Or is this just such a new science that people are like, hey, this is just speculative? I mean, how much crap do you take from your fellow, you know, researchers about what you're doing? Or is it generally assumed that this is, is there's something there, we just don't know what it is? Dream science is very lightly a science. It is marginalized in the academy. Uh, there's a lot up for debate. There's still, you know, some people who think that dreams, well, they have psychological meaning. I think that is probably the one thing that most psychologists will agree on is that dreams do have coherent psychological meaning, which is to say, you know, the continuity theory of dreaming being that that's a structure, right? Like, you know, we dream about the things that are important to us. You know, like I have a colleague, Kelly Bulkley, who has a sleep and dream database where he can punch through a number of dreams and using quantitative analysis and word counts. He can look at a person's dream and then make five inferences on what he thinks is important to that person and the situations of that person's life. And he's done this for peer review journals and he's right all the time. You know, it's like, well, you know, things like this person likes cats, but not dogs. This person is a woman and she is stressed about her sexuality, like things like that. Because there's so much of ourself shows up in our dreams. So of course there's coherent meaning, right? Like it has structure. But yeah, there's so many other things that we don't understand. And that's where you get the sort of the history of dream interpretation, which and I don't call myself a dream interpreter, by the way, and I don't really even interpret dreams. I do dream work, you know. Um, it really is kind of a different thing. Dream interpretation is like acting like a dream is a text and you're trying to say, hey, this is a language, this is a message from somewhere else and our job is to decode it. Well, I don't think that that's what it is. I think a dream is a real human moment and it has as much meaning as we want to give it, essentially. Now, we've talked a little bit about the lucid dreaming stuff, but is there a way to sort of actively use dreams to problem solve or gain some clarity on issues that we're having? Or is it just lucid dreaming, try something, if it doesn't work, try it again, if it doesn't work, try it again? Or is there more to the story? Because I'm kind of, you know, going off of just what I learned growing up, which is some days you find yourself in that dream and then boom, and then you're like, oh, cool, another opportunity to, to try to, I don't know, sneak out of whatever this is or escape from this situation or explore this thing, this place, this thing that I've, I've done or practice German, like I said before. Or is there a way to structure this and, and maybe plan this out a little bit better? Or is it kind of just... It, no, there is actually. Um, and it's called dream incubation. And it's actually a very ancient practice. And it's an easy practice. And you're going to... Once I tell you this, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I kind of already did this. But the idea is that if there's something in your life that's hot for you, that you want resolution on or you have confusion about, you need direction, you need a sign, what, what should I do, you know? And it's got, I would say, something that is, you know, emotionally hot as well. It's got to be intellectual and emotional for this to work best. You basically take that question to bed with you. You know, you can have a, a notebook or a journal and you can pose a question or even say, you know, I'm 
would like to have a dream that addresses the question of how am I going to get through this conflict at work? How am I going to deal with my, with my manager who's berating me every day? Like, what is a way to deal with, you know, what it can be specific. It can be on the intellectual side. It can be like, I really need to find some clean code that's like under a certain parameter, you know, in the next 48 hours or I'm out of a contract. I'm looking for this. This is a problem that's already up for you. You're already talking about it at the dinner table or thinking about it when you're on the train. So you write that down before you go to sleep and then you go to sleep. And then in the morning, you write down the dreams that you had. And it doesn't matter what the dreams were. You just write them down. Sometimes it might be obvious that you had a dream about that topic and other times not so much. But the point is, is that you do this for a few nights in a row, like in a concentrated fashion, because what happens is, is that sometimes an answer can come up to a week later. And I don't know why that is. It's just the time that it takes sometimes. And so it's a little mercurial and it doesn't always come when we want it to come, but you got to do that focused work for, I'd say, do it for three nights in a row you know, at a minimum where you're asking yourself this question and you're writing down your dreams as much as possible in the morning. Oh, in a short code for dreams, you could always like write down very briefly what happened in the dream and then say, flesh it out later. Like when you have some time, if you're commuting or, you know, you've got a lunch break or what have you. So you don't always have to do it. But if you have the time to write it down in the morning, you'll get more detail and it'll be more accurate. And what happens is, is time and again, you will dream about this topic. It will come up. The feelings about it will come up. It won't necessarily give you a clear, this is what you should do, but it might reflect back either the way you're thinking about it, the way you're approaching it, and how it's either good or bad, and can just sort of say, give you a new angle into what into what's happening. And then on the specific side, some people, and there's you know accounts of this, you know, get these like scientific breakthroughs. You know, they actually get the code. I mean, I've talked to, you know, computer programmers where they say, yeah, I write down the code when I wake up and it's like 95% accurate. <laughs> and it's crazy. like, you know, it's crazy. It does, you know, and so it's just, it's not like some kind of, whoa, crazy dreams. You know, it's the creative mind at work. Yeah. Let, let's touch on that a little bit. Cause I think a lot of times people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just like dreamed it. This came to you in a dream. That's ridiculous. How woo woo. But really, your subconscious mind is putting things together for you that your conscious mind might not have been able to fully focus on and or fully wrap your head around because of other things getting in the way. I mean, I know for me, I think of a lot of really interesting, powerful stuff when I'm dreaming. A lot of show ideas come to me when I'm dreaming. It's it's kind of like alcohol, only it's more effective, it's better for you, and <laughs> it lasts, It's I guess it probably lasts longer. It's, uh, that's great. Yeah. And once you open up the line of communication, it, you know, it keeps, it's a feedback effect. It keeps getting better and better. You'll have a dream, a really good dream that will give you some creative energy. You'll think about it during the day. It'll really spur you on to do something that can then spur on another dream that can be like a, you know, right. So it just, it's like a conversation with you and your creative self that just kind of keeps going. All right, back to the show. All right, so how do we get into the lucid dreaming state? Because for me, it's always been like, oh, I'm dreaming about something, and the cat kind of woke me up a little bit, so now I'm lucid dreaming because I'm maybe halfway 
conscious or something, and other times it just seems random, and other times I realize I'm dreaming and I can't control it, or I don't realize I'm dreaming until afterwards. It's just, is there a way to kind of snap into the, oh, I'm dreaming, now I can start to control this? I mean, is there a way to become aware that I'm dreaming in the dream? That's more reliable. There are. This is one of the coolest things that's come out of the last 20 years of dream research is that lucid dreaming is a learnable skill. Stephen LeBurge, um, who's a Stanford professor, is now retired, but he did much of his work was simply on what are the best methods of teaching people how to, to lucid dream essentially at, on command. And these methods aren't foolproof, but they are pretty effective. And I say the number one thing or predictor is if they're going to work or not is your own motivation to do the lucid dreaming. And so you want to make sure you know you have a specific intention. What what do I want to do in the dream? Just like with the dream incubation, it's got to come, I think, from a heart center, right? And from the head at the same time. Those are the juiciest intentions. So for some people, like I want to fly is good enough because that's actually a, just, I think, a human, a base human desire. It's just to do something that we can't do, to do the impossible. Uh, it's very visceral, and that is enough for people. Okay, but it might be more specific for you. And, and so once you have that intention in mind, there are a number of practices. The number one prerequisite is you've got to have pretty decent dream recall in the first place. So if you're not remembering a couple dreams a night in general, then it might be difficult to try to lucid dream with success because that feedback loop hasn't been established. If you're not keeping your dream journal at all, then you're probably going to have a harder time when you lucid dream. So I'd say get a dream journal, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, and start kind of gathering up that those dream recall skills. And the um, number one way of increasing lucidity is called a reality check. And this is what the lucid dreaming community has called it. And it's been talked about for, for 50 years, at least in the psychological community, but it goes back thousands of years. If you look at spiritual psychology and a lot of the stuff that came out of um, Buddhism and Hinduism, a lot of their practices actually uh, induce lucid dreams as a byproduct of doing what are essentially Reality checks, which is a mental coming back to yourself and noticing where you are in your environment in this moment, right? Notice mindfulness, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, there's numbers of ways you can do reality checks. I've been doing one recently that's based on uh, a product that I just designed. It's called the Lucid Talisman, and it's a copper coin that says on one side, are you awake? On the other side, are you dreaming? And I keep the coin in my pocket. And whenever I come in touch with the coin, like when I put my hands in my pocket during the day, it forces me to say, am I dreaming right now? How do I know? And that's the start, asking yourself the question, am I dreaming right now? And then how do I know? And, and how do I know is just as important because, because it, in the dream, if you have this question that pops up in the dream, it can actually be difficult to determine if you're dreaming. It seems like a strange thing to say, but it is true. But the reason it works is because you're making a cognitive habit. When you start asking this question awake in life and you're asking this question multiple times during the day and you mean it with intention, 
that becomes a habit that also makes its way into your creative mind. And so the question will come up. And if you don't dismiss it, which I've done countless times, I can tell you, countless times, am I dreaming? Oh, no, I totally, I'm just as normal, whatever. And I walk on, <laughs> I just like, I blew another, I blew it again. Um, and there's, so there's ways of testing reality. One of the ways that's been most effective for me is looking at some text with numbers, say a calendar or a book, uh, a phrase, more than a word, you know, really a phrase, and then looking away for a moment and then looking back at the text. And in the dreams, the text will often have changed. It's not stable for some reason, and I don't really know why that is. And it's not foolproof, but it's it works for me. Um, and a lot of people have reported the same thing. Ah, okay. I sort of, I'm seeing sort of a pattern here because there there are times when what j- kind of jerks me out of sleep is maybe I'm walking around my apartment and I look at a piece of art that I have on the wall. I have like North Korea propaganda posters or something on the wall, and I'll look at and they're all in Korean, obviously. And then I'll look at one and it'll be like in English, and I'll go, wait a minute, I don't have that in English. And then I'm like. I'm dreaming, that's what's going on. And that's exactly what I was doing when I was learning German is I would be having a conversation in German and then suddenly I wouldn't know the word for that word that I wanted to communicate in German and that's exactly what would wake me up to go get the word or or have me realize that I'm dreaming because why would I not know the word? That never (laughs) happens, right? I would never construct a sentence where I don't know the word. So if I'm talking and it stops, that's the like cognitive speed bump that has me go, ah, okay, I'm dreaming right now. Right. So that's it precisely. And so for you, that moment, even that question, what is that word in that context, that would be what we call a dream sign. And that is a personal dream sign for you that works, which means when you have that moment in a dream, that is the turning point of realizing you're dreaming or not noticing or deciding that it's not a dream. You know, the teeth falling out is a dream sign for me because like what I talked about, you know, you know, it's an anxiety thing, but it also, I'm like, well, I have this dream all the time. I might as well like use it <laughs> to my like benefit and go lucid. And so I've taught myself that when I have teeth falling out, uh, it means that I'm dreaming. And what's interesting is, is that this dream is, is so creepy that I still, it only works some of the time for me, that particular dream sign. I sometimes don't get it. But most of the time, I do. And then at that point, I say, ah, I'm dreaming. And I walk through the mirror. And and the scene implodes, and I'm in a void. And then the dream reconstructs around me, and I'm someplace else. It's an amazing, an amazing process to be awake in the dream. You know, it has its own logic going on, but I have my own intention, and you can meet it halfway. And it's just incredible. I get a lot of questions like, are there, ah, hey, I want to write down my dreams. You know, you lucid dream. Do you have any apps? Do you have any recommendations for apps that people can use to to increase their dream recall and, and things like that? Or There's a, a an app out there right now called Dreams Cloud that, and I believe it's a free app, which a dream journal. And uh, I've heard a lot of people have successes with it. I haven't used it myself at this point. I just changed phones. And there are um, some really cool tech coming around the corner. One of them is a lucid dreaming mask, actually, um, developed by iWinks. It's called the Aurora Mask. They, they were a Kickstarter. 
a successful Kickstarter. And basically, it's a headband that you wear at night, and it detects your sleep stages from your brain activity and from your muscle movements. And when you're in REM dreaming at the right time, it'll flash lights, and you can program sounds to tell you that you're dreaming. And some people will wake up, but some people will incorporate the sound and the lights into the dream and it can flash them into self-awareness. Oh, wow. That's coming out and that's coming out around the corner. And Stephen LaBerge, uh, who I mentioned earlier, is kind of the godfather of lucid dreaming, at least in American psychology. Um, he also has a mask he's been tinkering with for about a decade called the Nova Dreamer 2 that is going to come to market very soon as well. You know, a lot of the tech I'm realizing is just around the corner. There are lots of free apps that you can find that will do give you reality checks. Like it'll be like open randomly during the day and you can do a reality check that comes off your phone. I think that's cool, but I don't have a specific one to recommend, but that's, that's a cool way to do it too. Are there ways to interpret it? Cause yeah, okay. We can write down the dreams. We can journal them in our phone or on paper. We can sort of use this, you know, to make sure we're writing more of our stuff down, waking up early, whatever. But then what do we do with it? I mean, I, great, I got a notebook full of weird stuff that went through my subconscious brain. What good is that? How do we gain awareness of what this signifies? Because that, that's where it's like, now we're just looking into the crystal ball, right? Right, and, and it comes down to the dreamer's own specific motivations about what do they want to know about themselves. And that's going to lead them to be attracted to certain ways of working with dreams. One of the ways I like working with dreams is using... Scott Sparrow's methods. Scott Sparrow is an American psychologist who, he wrote a book about lucid dreams. Oh, it was early. It was like 1976. Well, Dawning of the Clear Light. He has a five-star method uh, that basically is about noticing the core of it that I like that pertains to lucid dreams in particular is noticing the choice points that you had in the dream and, and becoming aware of like what you allowed to happen and what you didn't allow to happen when you made choices, not just like when you went left or right, when you came to a fork in the road, but when a character came at you, perhaps attacked you and you let it happen or you didn't defend yourself or you overreacted. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like just noticing all these choice points and they're easy to see in the dream because it's like this strange narrative. It's not our waking life and, and it's just different enough that you can kind of, you know, almost role play your own life with it. That's another emotional intelligence exercise, basically. Because when you start doing that, you start noticing, you know, your own narratives and your own myths, your personal myth in your own waking life about what choices do I have and and how I let people do things to me. And, oh, that person made me feel this way. And kind of like, no, nobody makes you feel anything, right? Mm-hmm. We have choices here. I really think that's empowering. And, and I think that that's sort of one of the most, for men in particular, the most empowering aspect of lucid dreaming is noticing your choices, noticing your power, and know how to yield it, and know when to yield it. And also, not just power in the sense of strength, but also like power being understanding and surrender, knowing when to, to flow. And knowing when to, you know, um, bend like a willow branch or whatever. <laughs> There's different kinds of power. Um, and I think lucid dreaming really helps us play with those dimensions. 
Are there ways that we can sort of recognize or look for emotional triggers or self-sabotage? I know we sort of had touched on that a little bit before. How can we look at our recent dreams and things like that to maybe look for patterns? You know, the nice thing about bad dreams is that we tend to have a lot of them. I mean, bad dreams are more regular than good dreams in general. That's what it seems to be. It seems to be almost like three to one negative emotions over positive emotions and dreams. And so you've got a lot of material to work with there. And the nightmares, the loudest ones, I would start there, especially the repetitive one, right? What is the dream that you have that you continue to have that seems the same? And and actually, when you start writing it down, you'll notice that the dream isn't actually exactly the same every time. It's a little different. There's little differences. We're playing a myth. We're playing out some kind of role. And so noticing your role, noticing your choices, and you can say, and this is, you know, the perfect intention because it's strong, it's powerful, it's heart-centered. The next time I have this dream, I'm going to know I'm dreaming and I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. Try a different choice and see how it goes. It could be the key. Uh, I know a lot of people who've dissolved nightmares, repetitive nightmares in this fashion. Uh, it's certainly true for me. I, you know, had a lot of nightmares as a kid. And by empowering myself through lucidity, because I would have the nightmare, I'd become lucid aware because I was just so shocked into self-awareness that I learned how to have strong boundaries. I learned how to say no. And that was so empowering when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. And then since then, it's been different kinds of lessons. I wish it was always that easy. (laughs) Now I'm very good at saying no, but I have a a three-year-old son. And so saying no is kind of like always around me now. Now it's it's learning how to say yes. <laughs> of course. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything that you want to bring across that I have not asked you yet? You know, I would just say with with, with dreaming and getting into DreamWorks is to um, is to let it be exciting and not to take it too seriously. There is a dark edge to it, but it's also a playful edge. It's sort of like, you know, death is always dancing with us. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that comes and goes. And if you lose your energy for dreaming, let it go. And then it might come back at a different time. And, and that's just what's so great about dreams in general is that they come when we really need them. You don't need to force it. Thank you very much, man. Much appreciated. We'll link to some of your work in the show notes as well. So we'll look forward to seeing more from you. And thanks so much. It's really interesting to hear I mean, everybody listening, or at least several people listening, have probably experienced that lucid dreaming's kind of almost trendy, especially here in Silicon Valley, because you get these high performers who are like, "I want to do work even while I'm sleeping," or whatever, <laughs> you know. And they and they solve these massive problems. And whenever people are talking about it, I'm like, "Yeah, I've been doing that since I was a kid." I, I kind of inevitably get a lot of people who say, "Oh man, that you are one lucky son of a bitch," because <laughs> I think some people know I hate woo-woo like pseudoscience and things like that, but I, I can't really speak to the science behind it, only to my experience. That's why I brought you here. If nothing else, my fluency in the German language is attributable, and in, at least in part, to the ability to lucid dream, which I feel like I did multiple times per week. And if it can make you fluent in a really frustrating, difficult language or help you get there, it can certainly help you code an app or design a sales flow or, or just about solve, I would imagine, a lot of complex problems. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Guys, I hope you enjoyed that one. Really cool stuff on lucid dreaming, dream recall, 
I hate to say it, but dream interpretation, if you will, and and how we can really use dreaming to access other areas of emotional intelligence and learning. I think that stuff's fascinating. And of course, this was a suggestion. The show is a fanarchy. It's run by you, and I rely on those suggestions to keep my finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Ryan on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well. Our live program details are at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And of course, also on the website, there's a lot of bonus episodes that aren't released in the iTunes feed for those of you who just cannot get enough Art of Charm. Remember, subscribe in iTunes, check us out on our new network, Podcast One, and we also have iPhone and Android apps that you can find in the marketplaces for those. Review us on iTunes, it makes us feel proud and also helps keep us up in the ranks so that other people who can use this information can find the show more easily to get the credible advice they need. It's also the best way to support the show other than purchasing products and training from us. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast, and go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week, and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 